0: Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. Today, I have one of the co-founders of Chiki Chiki Boom Boom. And if you don't know what that is, well, you're going to find out. (laughs) Hola, Andres. Welcome to the Wine and Chisme podcast. How are you today?
1: Great. How are you?
0: I am good. It's raining. I'm so sick of this rain. Are you in L.A.? I'm in San Diego. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's raining really bad here, too.
0: I, and you know what? I'm actually going to be in LA all day tomorrow because I am actually finalizing venues for I'm taking the wine and cheese podcast on tour. And uh-huh. LA is my first stop. Okay. Congratulations. So, thank you. It's, I've been wanting to do this literally since i started
1: i can help you with that stuff by the way we should talk off camera
0: all right we will we will yeah so yeah i'm gonna be in la all day tomorrow and then i have dinner with some other latina podcasters and i'm like
1: really i'm throwing a party tomorrow night a renton are- party
0: oh you are all yeah. right we got lots to so say, we gotta do, do lots so, of and you just
1: texted me so i got you on the Perreo hotline you know all
0: right <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm really excited because you guys had reach out to me in regards to sending me some of the cheeky cheeky boom boom and we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, size. Um, and I'm super excited because you know I've been trying it with my boyfriend, like I told you previously. I know I look weird, my green screen's going kind of crazy. Yeah. So it's all good. I'm just looking more at
1: my at my light right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, I don't know. I gotta fix that light. You things know, like this. there's always
0: something, right? There's always something.
1: Well, it was dark today, so, you know, it's also, yeah, but all good.
0: Yeah. But I'm. You look like, great. The, That's all oh, that matters. Oh, thank you. The thank star you.
1: looks great, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm not the star. I'm just <laughs> the host. The I'm the co-star today. My... You're the
1: star, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well,
0: I'm wearing my Mujeres Run the World t-shirt. Okay. Uh, and I, I got like my I, I'm Viz very much representing today. I have my Chicana earrings on.
1: Okay. So
0: Eso. yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just representing all around today. Flow. That's right. That's right. You know? So before, let me read your bio and then yeah. we'll talk about our wine and then uh-huh. the wines that we're drinking. And then we're going to talk about your journey and Chiqui, Chiqui Boom Boom. Yeah. So, um,
1: let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Andres, let's- is it izquierda?
1: Isqueta,
0: yeah. Okay, I want to always want to make sure I'm pronouncing things correctly. And I appreciate that is is a multi hyphenate CPG entrepreneur in the areas of food, beverage, fashion, and entertainment. His passion and drive sits at the intersection of sustainability, culture, community, and consumer products. He's the CEO and co founder of tropical water beverage company Chikichigi Boom Boom, a brand driven by Latin culture, sustainability, and social impact. So now you know what Chiki Chiki Boom Boom is. He's the co-founder of 5-4 Group, a multi-million dollar fashion conglomerate with brands such as 5-4, Menlo Club, New Republic, Young and Reckless, and Ailes Gray, who have collectively generated over $600 million in revenue. And lastly, he's the co-founder of the Latin community platform Altuntur. Man, what do you not do? You do it all.
1: Produce the rapper CEO, you know?
0: <laughs> but right where they say any any millionaire has multiple streams of income. So you got to do all the things, right?
1: You got to do all the things, yes.
0: Without, hopefully, without being burnt out. Hopefully you give yourself some some you time.
1: Yeah. I mean, sometimes the way that you do it is that you release stress by thinking about the other one.
0: That's true. Know? <laughs> I release stress when I'm at my day job by thinking of, you know, as much as stressful as doing the all the things for the podcast can be. Yeah, this is like my happy place. Like, but, yeah. you know, if I just had a direct view to the water, I would never like, I would never leave. I would always be, I
1: would
0: always be doing stuff.
1: Just wine and cheese, man, and the, and the ocean. Exactly.
0: That's <laughs> all. It. That's all I need. That's all I need before we get into the cheese, May we always start with the wine. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. share what wine you're drinking today.
1: Yeah, I'm drinking a vino tinto for my friend's vineyard called, or for my friend's wine brand called Orgullo Wine. It's actually a Latino owned wine company. They're based in Santa Barbara. I'll connect you with them because if anything, it's very on brand with what yes. your podcast name is. Yeah. So Shat, to Israel, Villegas, and Fidi, they're the founders of the wine company. So yeah. So they hook me up with a lot of great wine and Fidi's family, actually, he'd be a great person to have with Israel on the podcast. Fidi's grandfather, I think, is the first Mexicano that came to work in the fields in Santa Barbara County. Oh, and then wow. he Wait. brought, I mean, I don't Fidencio? want to butcher the story. Yes.
0: I know Fidencio.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. Because he is... also
0: has his own wine brand as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orgullo is the one that he has with Israel. The other one is... uh
0: now all of a sudden, I'm stumped, but I know. Yes, I'm I know it. I know it. And it's some other
1: word like orgullo. It's like something else.
0: Yes. The, um, so I don't know if you know. So I actually created the very first directory of Lat- Latino wine brands based in the US. Oh, cool. So I don't think I have Orgullo wines because I feel like I would remember it, but I'm going to check my directory just to make sure. But yeah, I, during the pandemic, we were having virtual wine tastings and Fidencio, okay. I, we did one with Fidencio.
1: Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, he's he's very knowledgeable.
0: Yes, that makes me so excited. But yeah, I'm gonna check. Like I said, I'll check um, once we're done to make sure if I have orgullo. I did. like I said, it doesn't sound like I might have them on there, but we want to get them on the directory and for sure. Like yeah, you know, get totally. You know, get so excited. that
1: is what I have a I have a vino tinto, it's a blend. And I actually poured myself a pretty heavy glass, like a it's Viking.
0: Okay, so did
1: you know? I. So did <laughs> there I. we go. There we go. There we go. You know? So, I'm you know, actually
0: drinking a vino tinto to a red, one, red wine blend, a 2018 from okay. Vinos Unidos.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's all, you know. Yes. La, mi, la misma vibra.
0: Yes. So, um, Vinos well, Unidos. Cheers. Salud. Salud. Thank salud, okay, you, our little. <laughs> That's a good wine to have <sighs> on a rainy day.
1: Friday night, rainy day.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, like I was reading in your bio, you kind of do a little bit of everything, but I want yeah. to start at the beginning like we always do yeah you're actually you're actually an angelino born and bred angelino <laughs> yeah and your parents are from ecuador yes so can you tell me like did your parents immig- you're obviously your parents immigrated here you're first gen so tell yeah. me what that experience was like growing up and kind of competing because obviously when you think of la a lot of people think of having a high Mexican population, but I think people don't realize that there's like a lot of people from Guatemala, from other Latin American countries that are also here. So tell me about your experience being Ecuadorian descent in such a heavily populated Mexican community.
1: Yeah, totally. So I'm born and raised here in L.A. and, you know, I grew up like in the epicenter of L.A., and, you know, my family immigrated from Ecuador, I think in the 60s and 70s. Well, my dad in the 60s and my mom in the 70s, you know, obviously came here for better opportunity, blah, 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 blah. My dad's uh, side is from Ecuador, from Spanish descent. And my mom's side is from Ecuador, from Spanish and Lebanese descent. Um, she's actually half Lebanese. But yeah, but um, that's kind of like what, uh, you know, the background is on, on their side. And I was born at uh, Cedars-Sinai, like boom, right in the middle of LA. And, um, sure. you know, I grew up in LA in a very, you know, I grew up between like Koreatown and Las Feliz. Uh, my father lived in Los Feliz and my mom in Koreatown. Um, so, you know, exposed to all types of cultures growing up in that kind of spot, which is great because you're able to really appreciate and understand and participate in other cultures, which to me is really what helped shape me because I wasn't just siloed to say one culture. I was exposed to like Americans, exposed African-Americans, I was exposed to to Asians, and of course, Latinos, you know? And then within Latino culture, there's a lot of subcultures, right? Mexicans, uh, say Salvadorians, Colombians, Argentinians, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I grew up, if anything, more around Mexicans because in LA, I'd say Probably three quarters of the Latinos in LA are Mexican. So, you know, I love Mexican culture. I love the food. I love the vibes. I love the music. I love the way they party, you know, everything. I love the way that they slang. Because uh, the Mexican Spanish to me is by far the funniest uh, Spanish, because when they slang, and it's, it's hilarious. So, anyway, so I appreciate the culture. Do you
0: appreciate that? No mames way. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the best. It's the
1: best. No mames way. And I actually go to Mexico City a lot. I go between like six to eight times a year. Again, just like it's a vibe. I love it. And I also go to other places in Mexico every year too. Like I'll go to Valle de Guadalupe, which is right by you. I usually go at least once or twice a year. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. Next time just you go, you need to let me know. I will send you a little cheese man alert, and then uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that's what
0: it's gonna be. Now I'll send you a tech cheese man alert. <laughs> it's like a
1: notification, but it's a cheese man. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, so, you know, that helped really shape my upbringing because I think the beauty of it is that being from Ecuador, there's not a lot of Ecuadorian people here. A lot of the concentration of Ecuadorian people in the US is New York. I think Queens and like Newark or something. There's some like statistic that the biggest colony outside of like, I think outside of Ecuador is like Spain and then like either Newark or Queens and Miami, obviously. So, you know, being Latino, you know, I lived at, you know, with my mom the majority of the time. Like, you know, my grandma, she didn't speak Spanish. I mean, she didn't speak English. My dia spoke English. My mom spoke English, but, you know, Spanish was the language we 99% of the time only spoke at home. So, you know, with that kind of day to day vibe, you know, I always kind of sought culture. And a lot of the Latin culture that I was being kind of fed outside the home was actually non Ecuadorian. So the beauty of that is that you get to like understand other cultures because you start to see the differences, say, between Argentinians, the Colombians, the Mexicans, to Cubans, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so I, you know, I think I have a pretty deep understanding and awareness and experience with all types of Latin culture. So you know, I think that was super important to my kind of formation and everything that I'm doing now, because Latin culture is a beautiful thing, but it's not just one just within Mexico there's like you know 10 different accents you know like the slang in the north is different from the chilango slang you know and the same goes even in Ecuador which is a lot smaller of a country but the way that the people from the mountains versus the people from the oceans the way that 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 they speak even from their accent to the slang is very different so you know being kind of around that my whole life and like understanding and like you know just asking my friends like yo like why do the Monterrey Mexicans speak different from the Mexico City Mexicans. And not really a why, just like understanding, mm-hmm. but cool. You know, and I think that gave me an appreciation and like a more holistic kind of view on, you know, all things that make the culture from the people, the food, the language, the music preferences, you know, just the different kind of inter-family twang and vibes and all that stuff. You know, so I think that the beauty of being exposed to all that is the diversity to me is key, you know, and outside of just my Latin culture, also appreciating the other cultures around me and LA is a melting pot. So you're able to be exposed and have like a more global perspective, which helps shape you and things like business and all that as I grew up and whatnot.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can even say that with the States, right? Like I grew up in San Diego and I've lived in different you know, cities I stayed within Southern California. And yeah. then I, I moved to Texas. And for the first year, I was constantly asking what stuff meant. Yes, you're speaking English, but you're not speaking English that I understand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: The first time I heard I'm fixing to oh, I'm fixing to go to the market. I was so confused. I'm like, yeah you're fake. What? You're not. Yeah, no. It's like, (laughs) it's
1: like American culture is very different. California culture is different from say Georgia, different from Texas and New York and East coast and Midwest and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think being exposed to as much as you can, I think is always a great thing.
0: No, I completely agree. I think when we stay in our bubbles, you know, we have a limited perspective and it's hard to have empathy for what others are going through or even trying to relate to others when you're not, when you're not exposed to anything else, I think is, you know, a challenge that unfortunately is some people stay in their bubbles purposely. And then some people just don't have, like, don't have the opportunity to get out of those bubbles. And, and we need to you know help create those opportunities, especially for people within communities of color to be able to, experience all types of things instead of just us staying in one little bubble so growing up your parents lived in very different areas Los Piles is very different than for that from Koreatown Mm -hmm. wait first Mm -hmm. let me ask did your parents meet at a dance
1: no my dad met my mom through my uncle
0: okay like through her 90 percent everybody's like oh yeah I'm sure there was was like a a dance
1: dance. there was there was a party (laughs) of some sort and a baile and a lot of so cheese, man. And probably yeah. a lot of wine, you know? <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> so I, I just have to ask because it's so funny because I hear it every single time, right? And I love it. I love it. My parents have an interesting story, but they they did not meet at a dance. So it's just
1: okay. That, that's more rare. Yeah, they met at work and
0: my mom hated my dad. She thought he was arrogant.
1: Uh, (laughs) Nice, nice. She tried to fix
0: him up with her friend and then he said, well, I like you. (laughs) Atrevido. Yeah, that was it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So, like I said, Los Files and Koreatown are very, very different areas. So, you know, even economically, they're very different areas. The demographic is very different. Did you ever feel like any pressure to straddle? Like, did it feel like two worlds? Did it feel the same? And how did you straddle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it felt like two worlds, e- even though they were 10 to 12 minutes apart. You know, it felt like two worlds because I lived in like an apartment with my building was like mostly Korean, some Hispanics. And then in Hancock, sorry, in Las Feliz was mainly like white. And bear in mind, again, only 10... 15 minutes max with traffic away, but it was like a very different world.
0: Yeah, I tell people when they're like, oh, should I, actually I had a friend recently asked her she should go to Hollywood to go see, I'm like, no, don't go to Hollywood. You're not gonna, like, don't spend the night in Hollywood. That's not, if you want to see celebrities, it's not going to be there.
1: Yeah, no, (laughs) they're not hanging out on Hollywood Boulevard.
0: And, And I did say, I'm like, if you want to see people like kind of in their normal day life, I'm like, you might see people in Los Feliz.
1: Yeah. Los is where a people? lot of them live.
0: Yeah, right. So even though I'm not from LA, I know what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, totally.
0: I'm like, you go like cafes and restaurants and stuff like that. Los Feliz, Burbank is where studios are. Actually, met George Clooney at a, at a farmers market in Burbank. Okay. So I mean, you you got to you got to go in the non like those area the areas that people think are those are not it.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 total, total.
0: So growing up, where did you end up going to high school? Were you going like within the Los Pinos area? Or-
1: no, I went to, yeah, I went to a school, a high school called Loyola High School. It's an all-boys school. Mm-hmm. Shoot me. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, but my mom, it, it was a Jesuit school. So my mom felt that that was the best uh, what route What is a
0: for Jesuit me. school?
1: Jesuit's like uh, Catholics, mm-hmm. but it's like a... Like a branch of call it like the Roman Catholic vibes.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I don't know how to describe it because I don't want to butcher it. So I'm just giving you general slang.
0: Okay, so uh-huh. if you want to know what it is, you got Google, everybody. You got a Google, Google Jesuit. You, you got Google. Yeah. It's not that. Hard. And
1: there, <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of private schools that are Jesuit. I think mostly male, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, so I went to Loyola. You know, it's a very highly regarded school in the country actually we're actually the number one feeder school to usc for like 20 30 years or so oh really Um, yeah like my my class was like 270 students i think like 52 went to usc that's a lot yeah Yeah. usc is like a top back then it was like a top 25 school now it's like a top 15 you know, I get the alumni magazine and it says like, you know, 37th year in a row, number one feeder school to USC. Blah, so blah. you
0: went to USC?
1: Yeah. So I only applied to four colleges. I applied directly to Wharton as like an early thing. I got rejected. I did it more because they were like number one at the University of Pennsylvania. And then I applied to Cal. I got rejected from there. And then I got, I applied to NYU. I got in and I applied to USC. U- USC was my backup, actually. Really? Um, Yeah.
0: So what made um, you decide to go there?
1: I got a full ride, and my mom was like, "Oh yeah, pendejo! Like, <laughs> no te vas a New York." <laughs> um, like and you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, obviously, being close to home. Also, my my grandma who helped raise me she was very sick at the time, so we had a feeling that this may be her last year or two left. So it was important for me to, for my mom, for me to be close to her to come see her on the weekends and all that stuff, and. USC is a very commuter school in the sense, like Monday to Thursday you're on campus, or Sunday night to Thursday, and then Thursday night or we call it Friday morning to Sunday you go back home because it's like big Orange County, LA County uh, group of students. So you know, I did that exactly. I would go home usually most weekends and see Abuelita and you know, she ended up passing away like my towards the end of my freshman year. So you know, like all in all, I think it was important that I ended up staying home just to be able to see that last, uh, year with her, you know, once you leave the house to go to like college, that's it. You're like an adult now, you know? So the connection that you have with family is very different now because you're coming, you're coming back home more as like a young adult with some independence, as opposed to prior where you still were like under the watch and, you know, control, not control, but you know, you had to like obey and respect your parents. Now you have freedom and you come back with like newfound freedom. So it's like a different vibe and energy, you know? But yeah, that's how I ended up going to USC.
0: Well, I've actually interviewed two professors from USC. So apparently there's a theme with wine and cheese man, USC. Cause (laughs)
1: it's so fight (laughs) on. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, it's great. It's great. I'm really interested because of of the schools that you applied to, they're obviously very competitive schools. They're not Uh. easy to get into. So what was like, I'm obviously assuming you obviously had very good grades and everything in high school, but I also feel like based on what you were doing, you were probably had the entrepreneurial spirit very, very young. Yeah. So I know know you probably had something going on when you were little. So I want to hear about that because I just get that vibe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's funny because I went to like a all boy private school that was like 70, 80% white. So like junior and senior year, I discovered where the fake ID places were to buy. So I was like paying, I was charging a fee to like the gringos to take them there and to be like the conduit to getting the ID. But yeah, you know, I've always been hustling. And that was like when I was 16 (laughs) or like, you know, buying liquor with my fake ID and then just upselling it to my other friends, you know, because I'm like, yo, there's a luxury tax to be able to... (laughs) have this, uh, have this service, you know, cause I'm taking the risk and the liability. So yeah. I should be able to benefit off of, you know, there's like risk reward always. Right. Yeah. Anyways, luckily I, tra- I evolved into not doing things like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I-, I used to throw a lot of parties when I was in college. So I used to throw like a party a month, you, you know, like at clubs again, actually a bunch of fake ID kids that would go to like 21 and over clubs. But yeah, you know, it was great. And uh, it was fun. And you're, you're like the man, cause you're throwing these parties and stuff. So I threw them with my friend and, you know, it was, uh, it was great. And then, uh, you know, I always like worked since I was 16. So like my first job was literally at Bastard Robbins and I used to work only so I can go buy clothes Cause my mom would only allow me to shop at like TJ Maxx, Marshall Ross, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I would go pick like the hot stuff there, you know, but I wanted to go shop at like Bloomingdale's and Macy's for like the new, new Ralph Lauren. And she's like, oh yeah, yo te llevo allá porque está 50% off, pero tú tienes que ir con tu dinero a yeah. comprar so en el
0: Bloomingdale's.
1: Yeah. So then, you know, I would get my little check. I think it was making like $4.25, 15 an hour back then. And I would like work a shit ton of hours just so that I can go buy like new clothes. So I was like always obsessed with fashion. And I used to spend literally my whole check. It was like, I would cash say three, 400 bucks and I would go to the mall and spend it all on clothes. Cause growing up, my mom would only get me like a pair of shoes like once or twice a year. And she was like, if you want more, you got to earn it. And I was not like cool going to like pay less. Mm-hmm. So I needed to get fresh. So
0: I imagine going to the school that you went to kind of contributed to that? Did you ever feel like you were, like you didn't fit in or you were out of place and and these other things that you did in regards to throwing parties and upselling liquor and fake IDs, Uh like did that, do you think that helps solidify or do you think that you just kind of seamlessly, did you ever feel like you, because of your culture and because of those things that you ever kind of had a split identity from, from school versus home?
1: no i mean i think for me it was always like it's funny because in high school you would see like separation this is bare mind like late 90s you would see separation of ethnic groups on campus like recess and lunch the skater dudes would hang out with the skater dudes mostly white boys the like east side white boys would hang out only with the east side white boy the Asians would only hang out with the Asians. The African Americans with African Americans. Hispanics, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? You know, I always made it a point to be friends with everyone. I mainly, I mainly hung out with Hispanic kids, but like, I always made it a point to like just be cool with everyone because I think I've always been like a student of culture, and for me, it was important to just have this like well-rounded understanding. You know, and to this day, my friend. You know, I'd say my friend group is probably like half Latin and the other half is a pretty diverse group of individuals.
0: I think that's so important. I feel like I was kind of very similar to that. Most of my friends were Latinos, but I was friendly with everybody. Yeah. You know, I knew everybody. I talked to everybody regardless. Like, if you're cool, you're cool. If you're an asshole, regard you're an asshole regardless. An asshole regardless. I
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: like skin color or ethnicity doesn't play a part. And if you were an asshole, you were just an asshole.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally.
0: Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese. Hola, mi gente. I am so excited to share that the Wine and Cheese podcast is going on tour. And our first stop will be on April 29th. In Los Angeles, there will be wine provided by Latine-owned wine brands, a cheese and charcuterie grazing table, a special performance by Heidi Rojas, and a live podcast recording discussing diversity in media and entertainment. We will also be making stops in Dallas, Texas in June, New York City in September, and bring it back home to San Diego in December. So make sure to go to the wine and cheese podcast.com for more information on dates as each city gets closer and to buy your ticket today. So when you got to USC, did you move away or were you continuing to throw these no, parties? Lived,
1: yeah, I know. I lived on campus and it was fun. And, you know, I lived in like a big suite and I instantaneously became really good friends with the dude in the room over. We shared this mutual love for like hip hop and rap. It's funny because like we were like, the first weekend we moved in, we were hanging up posters of like rappers in our room. And we were like the only one out of the eight students that like hung out, hung up posters of rappers. So, you know, we had like similar interests, so we bonded instantaneously. So he's actually the one I, I threw parties with. I mean, he's still a very close friend of mine to this day. But yeah, I lived on campus. First year, I lived on campus. The next three years, I lived off campus, but like right by. And for me, you know, college, I didn't view college as like an academic experience because I quickly knew going into my freshman year that I was going to be an entrepreneur and that my success in my life was not going to be based on my grades. It was going to be based on like my gift of being able to put things together and create and innovate and all that stuff. So. I didn't really care about my schooling which my mom did not was not excited about but um I you know I cared about more about the experience of like becoming an adult to me I think that was what was the most learning thing from college that I took away from it that you know the idea of college is like starting and finishing and like if you can start and then you finish everything from grades to this to that because now your parents, sorry, from, not from grades, from like projects to, 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 to a class for a whole semester, you don't have the like on top ofness or control, say from your parents, where in, if you're in, in like school and you live at home, they have more jurisdiction over you, you know? Here, you kind of have to do things on your own. So for me, it was more like that evolution. That, that's why like people talk shit about college, but I view it not really for the academic reasons. It's more like bonding and like, finding yourself. And, you know, you're still at 21, 22, when you graduate, you're still like, a mocoso. you still don't know shit, <laughs> yeah. but like, you know, it's a massive evolution of going from like a boy to like a young adult.
0: No, absolutely. Or a girl
1: think... to young, young female, yeah. a young yeah. person
0: into growing into yeah. a young adult and adult. Was there a time during that period where you really wanted something and that you failed at? And what was the lesson that you learned during those like before all of these other things that have come or that you're, you know, that you're now involved with and that you've created?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at the time I had a concept. Damn, you're really putting me on the spot. <laughs> I had a concept for like this idea. And this is when like the tech bubble was like hot, right? This is like late 90s, early 2000s. I had a concept of like wanting to create like the Latin Amazon, but for like Latin America. And I would just like read all day on this right? About e-commerce and international and opportunities and blah, blah. I never ended up doing anything about it. Actually, I just fucking read and researched a lot. And, you know, I think that that experience taught me that doing is more important than like, say, procrastinating. And obviously I was young. So like, you know, when you're young, you don't really... The urge to do something, it's more like ideas as opposed to like real. I didn't... I think... The ideas were great that I had at the time. and um, But in reality, it's like, you can't think about some, th- some things too much. Sure, you got to do some due diligence on ideas. But to me, the most important thing that I've learned in my whole career actually is just doing. And it's, i rather like fail fast and learn and then keep iterating than like thinking and thinking and thinking. Like, you know, I know a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurial and that have this desire to be entrepreneurial and think that being an entrepreneur is glamorous and sexy so that they do it. But like, there's a clear distinction between being an entrepreneur and say, being like an employee and not all people are breaded to be entrepreneurs because being an entrepreneur is fucking grueling. It's like hell, you know? And like, it's like the journey of the unknown, you know? And like, if you're willing to be you have to be always on the offense, never on the defense. You have to be always thinking ahead, two, three, four steps ahead because you're essentially creating your own path, and no one's gonna make your path for you. you know. So I think with that said, that journey in college like helped me a lot because I went through a big transformation mentally where I went from being like a very studious person to being someone that like, was not studious. And lucky I graduated, to be honest with you, because I was like on the brink of like getting kicked out of USC. And I wrote this Great like email. heartfelt letter to like the dean and she let me in. And she's like, you're like, you have the worst GPA in the in the program, but you're like a star. So I wrote her like a very bold, bold email, you know, that also teaches you like, fuck it. Like the worst is no, you gotta be bold. And oh my gosh, th- there were so like, much. there were like some of my, Alumni from my high school that were my grade, whose family were very way more well off than me, that had donated to USC. Some of these people didn't make it into into the Marshall School business, and I'll never forget like when admissions were like going in, all my friends got in, and I didn't get in early, right? And I was like, "Fuck, what the fuck?" My mom's gonna kill me, (laughs) but I had one more chance. I had like second semester sophomore year, and then I got in. And then all my like, the people that I went to high school with that didn't get in, they were like, how the fuck did he get to get in? Because I was honest with them. I was like, yeah, I have like a shitty GPA. Like, I don't hit the requirements. And they were like baffled. And I was just bold and like atrevido. And I just wrote this lady an email like, yo, you got to let me in because I need to be in this one program, in the entrepreneur program. And I need to understand how to develop my ideas And I'm going to make you a very proud, proud alumni one day, you know? And, you know, I gave her like a bit of my thesis. And actually at the time, the thesis is similar to what it is now is like progressing Latin culture forward. That was like the idea, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, this was 1999, insane or 2000. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is like thinking so ahead And like I was like, I had this idea of e-commerce and da-da-da, but it it was around this idea of like moving the culture forward. So she just like loved that big vision. And I just sent an email and I'm like, yo, the worstest thing is the worst that happens is like she doesn't reply because that's at least there's no closure. And the second worst thing is she can say no, right? The only good thing is that she says yes. So she ended up like calling me and she's like, Yeah, I want to meet you. And she's like, yo, if you just improve. I'm going to let you in, just improve a little. And then I improved. I didn't improve a little. I actually did it. I did worse. And I wrote her an email again, like saying, I recognize I messed up. But as you can see, it was this one class that brought everything down. All the other four classes went up. But this one class, and I want to be anyways in this entrepreneur program, which is all project based as opposed to like, mathematics advanced. Da, 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 da. Wait, what
0: class was it that was bringing you down?
1: It was like a BC calculus or statistics class or something. Right. Oh, and I was
0: statistics. It's, I swear this I say, and honestly, this is the math of the devil.
1: And I was honestly like always a year ahead in high school of math when I actually studied. So the problem wasn't that I was a bad math student. The problem is just, I didn't buy my books and I was over it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck this shit. Like, I'm just gonna focus on the other ones. And I told her like, yo, I recognize I I did bad, but I just want you to know that the other ones did well. And I'm still on this path to wanting to get into this program. And she like called me and she's like, yo, I'm still gonna let you in because you're resilient. So I think going back to the point of this all is like, who cares? Like, just fucking do it. And like, the worst is that you can do is say no and you fail. And, you know, like I was talking to my friend, Today, he called me about something. He was just talking about, like, it was a very quick conversation, but he like, he pivoted his business. So he's like, you know, the difference between you and me and like a lot of other people is like, we fail so much, but like we're happy to fail. And like, you learn so much from the failure and that adversity develops your character to have like big, way bigger successes. Right. So I think like in hindsight, you just got to be a little atrevido, you know? And like Latinos, there's there's always an example of Latinos being atrevido in some way, shape or form. So if you use it and apply it to like career and all that stuff, you know, I think it's the right kind of attitude and resiliency to be able to take on, you know?
0: No, absolutely. And I love that you were talking about the failure because I think it's so important, right? Like so many times we hear of, oh, this is what I did to become a success. And we don't talk about the failures. And then people feel like they can't relate or, well, I failed and they're this or they're that. And I also love that you said like the worst they could say is no. Cause that's always my thing. Like I always say the answer is always no, if you don't ask the question. Yeah. And if you ask the question and the answer is no, then you're no worse off than where you are already. Right. So ask, so, so make the ask, make the, you know, like make a move, but do something. Cause if you don't do anything, nothing will happen. Totally. So what was the first successful or like, whether it's something you're still doing or not, but what was the first kind of successful business that you founded? And then how did that feed into kind of all of the other things that you're doing?
1: Yeah. So I think the first successful one was definitely when I started my fashion company. So I started it in like late 2001, early 2002. It was my senior year. It was my school project at the Marshall School in the entrepreneur program. And it was a clothing line called 5-4. And you know, sure, we got like little successes, but to me, success is something that's not like, I don't really celebrate my success because success is is very momentarily, you know, it's all about like, okay, that success helps me to build to the next bigger thing. And I always have been like a big vision guy. And like, you know, whether or not I accomplish it or it deviates, you know, for me, it's like, cool, let's celebrate he ha whatever cool move on to the next and how we keep moving forward, you know, so I think that like, for me, I would say probably was in like 2005 where like, my clothing company had gone from like making like, call it little runs of t shirts and sweatshirts and all that kind of stuff, to now like making like full collections and now being treated as like a serious kind of like player. So for me, I think that was like the big aha moment where like I recognize that like, oh, wow, like this this is a real brand that like is selling in like a few hundred stores. And now the company is doing like a few million dollars a year. I did this with my partner, with my co-founder and we were able to build something out of nothing. And I think that was recognized by the industry and by retailers and, you know, we had real employees now and all this shit, you know? So I think that that's when I felt like and I was 24 at the time, you know, or 25. So, you know, I was young and bear in mind, this is like 2005. So like the internet wasn't popping yet. You know, now it's like, I I I hate to say it. Now it's like a lot easier to do things because the access to information is crazy. You know, back then information was, podcasts did not even exist, you know? Or if they did, yeah. it wasn't a podcast. It was another thing, you know, it was like someone talking. It wasn't treated as a podcast, right? Yeah. Um. So, you know, I think that like, In that early era, you know, and then I saw like incremental success happen year over year, you know, so, you know, it was a, but, you know, right after there were successes, there was a lot of failures that obviously you don't see behind the scenes, but, you know, I think that those are all building points. And, you know, I think that that learning experience was way more instrumental in life than my college experience because like the school of fashion like if people don't it are not people that are in the fashion business are going to understand what i'm going to say and then people that are not in the fashion business may not understand but fashion's like top 3 worst industries to be in like day to day operationally it's hell it is not glamorous it is so many moving parts cash flows killer like you have to plan so far out. It's not just like software or SaaS or tech that you're just like blah 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 blah, and you can you 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 can control your destiny, right? If you have vendors and this and that, if a vendor fucks up on something, it could ruin your whole your whole cycle, you know. So I think like understanding that and being able to manage the moving parts and whatnot you know, taught you a lot and like, you know, the cycle, like the cycle, like the cyclicality, I, I think that's a word of the business and ha- how things change and stuff. You know, it taught me a lot about like endurance and being able to kind of weather the storm because the storms that I've experienced in fashion are like Hurricane Katrina vibes, you know, so anything that comes my way now is like kind of easy. Like, sure, you, you may have some failures, but I'm like, bro, you have no idea
0: about the past, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. Everybody always sees because I, you know, part of what I do is also events. And I always say, as long as people don't see the craziness behind the scenes, everybody thinks, oh, this was so great. And I'm like, you have no idea how stressed I've been. You know, how, you yeah. know, like all of those things people just, they don't need to see how the sausage gets made, so to speak.
1: Yeah, they, yeah, yeah.
0: They just see the end product, but yeah, anything like that, it just it it drains a lot out of you. But then when the end product comes out, it's like ah, yeah, I did that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it feels good. You celebrate a little bit and then you move on.
0: Yes. So how do you move from fashion into beverages? Because you have this chicky chicky boom boom, yeah, this tropical water. Um, and there's so many cool things about it because, so let me just tell you when you, when you guys had reached out to me, the first thing I did was go to the website, Sure. right? Like go to the website and say, okay, let's see who these people are. (laughs) And I like really went and I have it up right now because I really want to make sure I don't miss anything. And I love how you're talking about impact, right? We're talking about like sustainability and social impact are at the core of your mission. And you're talking about like you guys have your own farm in Ecuador and in the, one of the like um, what they call a blue zone, you know mm-hmm. a blue zone is where they the quality of life is so good that there's a lot of centen- centenarians I don't know if that is said yeah, that, basically people that live up to hundred.
1: yeah yeah uh, you're 100 a- um, percent accurate.
0: And you know you're also talking about organic regenerative, agriculture, female Uh farmer empowerment, reforestation, water conservation, soil health, biodiversity, environmental protection, education for indigenous communities. I mean, it's kind of a lot in this like little bottle, right? So to speak, how did you go from, from fashion into, you know, beverage and then what, like, yeah, let's just start there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny because you said it's kind of a lot in like a little bottle. It feels like feels like a bad bunny album that he'll sing trap and then he'll sing to you like Ojitos Lindos with Bomba stereo. <laughs> That's more like a slow jammy song and then he'll do a perreo song. Right. You know, we have it kind of all at Chiki, But yeah, so like in 2017, 2018, you know, I I had uh, actually had had our biggest year at our, our fashion company. Uh we had like 150, 60 employees and Had multiple divisions and you know, had achieved pretty good success. And for me, like the breaking point was that I didn't see how like I could integrate impact and also like how this thing can get to like a billion dollars. I mean, and I was like just thinking about the word billion because you know, it's not about the money and like the wealth, it's more about the impact, meaning the bigger you are, if you can create a company that's sustainable, you have a lot of influence and power over people, like power in the sense of like influence right and you have the ability to you know change the narrative of things and to be able to inspire people to be better like a Patagonia you know like like for instance I don't necessarily like the fashion of Patagonia it's a little granola vibes mm-hmm. but I appreciate the like everything else about the company a lot actually. And the founder is like a big inspiration of mine. And I've researched him for a long time. And I was like, you know, shit, like I want a company like this. I want something that creates like long lasting impact, not only on, say, the people that work there, but also the people that are involved with like your products and the planet and all that stuff. And, you know, to me, that was important to be able to evolve into and you know as you get older i think priorities change you you have new influences you know so i started to read a lot about the environment and climate change and all these things and before i was like oh yeah i appreciate nature yeah the environments like kind of fucked up and but i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to like create impact myself you know and then around this time too as i got a bit older i was like i want to be more in touch with my culture apart from like speaking spanish with my mom and tia you know, and my and my other family members, like, and my Latin friends, like, I wasn't putting an impact on the culture, And occasionally I would be asked to do like Latin panel things for entrepreneurship because of whatever I'd done in fashion and blah blah blah. And I was like, cool, whatever, I'll talk. And then beyond those twenty minutes to an hour, and I was like, fuck. But I felt like I want to do more. You know, so like culture and impact were the things that like really. Drove me kind of like now, ignited my spirit. I was just like, yo, if I can't do this where I'm at today, where we're doing tens of millions of dollars in business, and I have a lot of people that I watch over, then how can I evolve into that? Because that's going to make me a more fulfilled person, you know? And I think if I can move in that direction, I can build something very big. Cause also, like, I think those things like culture and impact, at least for me, in terms of measuring success it's also about size of impact like can i impact millions of people tens of millions of people hundreds of millions of people you know i think that that then you can create a long lasting generational generational impact right and then i said can i do this in fashion and i said to myself i don't think so so then i just kind of like sat around and was like observing and i looked at multiple industries and i'm like where can i apply what i'm good at Which I thought was like brand building, community, call it networking, connecting the dots, you know, blah, 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 and seeing like seeing what I, other people don't see. And then I naturally landed on like, shit, I love making products. I love coming up with an idea and having people consume it. Obviously, during that time, it was more fashion, right? Now I started to look at like, what are the problems with the fashion business? I'm like, fashion is very cyclical. It's more of a luxury product. Even HM t shirts a luxury product in the sense of like behavior, right? You don't need another t shirt if you have a lot of t shirts right. or another pair of jeans or another pair of shoes. Like I have seven, 800 pairs of shoes. Do I need another pair of shoes? Probably not forever, right? But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like in theory, I can never buy another pair of shoes again and be good. Cool. But so then I'm not participating in the fashion economy anymore as a consumer, right? If that's the vibe. So then I'm like, wait, but like food, you got to eat three to four times a day. You got to drink six to eight times a day. Sure, it's mostly water, but you're like consuming every day or else you probably will die. I'm like, okay, cool. Like consumerism is big there. There's like, so I'm like, where are the missing links? And I started seeing like, I was like a byproduct of like speaking three languages, English, Spanish, and Spanglish. Because, you know, in like a funny way, I believe Spanglish is its own being, right?
0: Oh, totally. I say, that's what I say. I'm fluent in Spanglish.
1: Yeah, like- My
0: Spanish is okay, but I'm fluent in Spanglish. Yeah, like
1: when I speak to my mother, she doesn't like Spanglish. So like, I have to speak in Spanish and I speak in Spanish without Spanglishing. When I'm with like my Latin friends, we're we're like Spanglishing the fuck out of everything, right? (laughs) So, you know, that is one thing. And obviously, you know, growing up in the 90s, 2000s, as like a teenager and twenties in your twenties, like hip hop and rap culture were like a big, a big influence in my life, you know. And I saw a lot of my success in fashion was attributable to, say, product placement, collaborations, et cetera, et cetera, with rappers, you know. And I started seeing this evolution of like Latin culture and reggaeton is now becoming the new pop culture, and now I, along with like 67, 70 million people in the U S can identify with figures that we identify with, because we are of the same culture. Right. So that's like game changing. Right. Cause before I didn't necessarily identify with a lot of the, like the reggaetoners. Cause like, I just, I like the music, but I'm like, uh, they didn't dress that cool. You know, And the rappers, they always dress cool and the music was hot. So I'm like, and for me, fashion is so important. You know, I was like, do I want to dress like that person? Usually the answer was no, you know, but I'm like, yo, the music's hot. Right. But now you started to see, and to me, the pioneer of it was J Balvin. I'm like, this guy, like, dude, on top of that, I have the same birthday as him. (laughs) You know, I was like, yo, this guy has energetic, his personality is great. He's singing dope like reggaeton music and he's dressing cool. And I'm like, fuck, I can identify with that. He's Latino, you know, like that's cool, you know? And you started seeing this change in the perception and the adoption and the engagement of Latinos, you know, and you started to see this different evolution. And to me, I've always felt that music is the the driving force of culture, you know, because the moment that we're having now, it's not a moment because it's now going to be forever, but Latin culture has progressed tremendously because of the acceptance, in my opinion, of reggaeton music. And I will argue the fuck out of that with anyone. Sure, yeah. we're a big part of the population that but the influence... Well, there was always we,
0: moments before, like sure. Ricky Martin at the Grammys, right? Like everybody thought that was going to be the moment. And then you know, even in regards to pop culture, when you see somebody like Jennifer Lopez who actually had an ass and hips and yeah. nobody else had that. And so there was all these little, little changes, but the biggest movement wasn't really, I mean, I think it was really like Danumar and Daddy Yankee for me. And I remember when like Gasolina came out, knew there it was like constantly on the radio. And, yeah.
1: So um, coming from fashion, I have a different opinion and lens to it because i believe music and an attachment to music like for instance i lived to latin music my whole life right because my mom only listened to like you know julio iglesias el puma jose jose blah 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 gloria stefan all that shit right oh, it was gloria dope Stefan's
0: one of my mom's favorites. it was
1: dope right but like i didn't necessarily dre- want to dress like them you really? know i thought it was a little corny and then you know, even like Ricky Martin of Vicky Iglesias, that whole early 2000s wave. Again, I wasn't like, oh, I don't think they dress that cool. To me, the rappers dress cooler. And when you as an individual want to now dress like someone and project your image, because music and your emotional attachment to music, you can be doing it in your pajamas Mm -hmm. and that's just your your vibe, right? But when you start dressing like someone, that's powerful. That's, image that's you're spending your dollars on that, right? You're spending, you're projecting to the world that you are dressed or influenced by this one person or group of people, right? And being a student of fashion, I've seen that. And I saw, you know, the, the biggest inspirational person or the biggest person of our generation is Kanye West, you know, and there's no one like him. And again, I will argue that with anyone. He is the most, from a fashion perspective, I don't agree with a lot of statements. I think his fashion
0: is, uh, to be perfectly honest, I think it's so ugly.
1: Yeah, I but he's influenced like...
0: So ugly. So what I see people, Yeah, you're right. When people and people are wearing it and I'm like, I, I, I personally, and obviously all of those things are personal preference. When I first heard it, when he first came out and I heard the story of him in, in the car accident and how he treated the other person, I've not really ever been a Kanye fan and I'm going to be very honest about that. I did like his music for a while and then obviously like, I just, I don't like it anymore. I don't like the person he is and, yeah. I, and I don't like the music, the product that he puts out. And I think his fashion is so terrible, but he has made, you're right. He's made such an impact. And, and I'm like,
1: he's influenced the product he puts out I'm not is kidding so you. <laughs> he's influenced hundreds of billions to maybe blow trillions of dollars in consumerism, which is asinine. It's crazy that he, whatever. The point is, I saw that and that movement, and I was just like, the day that Reggaeton has that kind of impact may not have that kind of magnitude, but that still has that kind of engagement. I think that's the day when things will change, right? And, you know, I started seeing that, in my opinion, that the culture really wanted to participate and wanted to have something that was their own, to be like, eso es un producto latino, and feel proud of it, you know? And, you know, I've talked about this with people that are leading creatives in the Latin music business, more on like the creative side and the artist side and stuff. And like, to me, it was like J Balvin that really changed that wave you know? And like being in fashion. So like, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Rose Bowl at the flea market. Yes. So the flea market happens, I think the second Sunday of the month. And I've been going since like the mid two thousands Buy like, I would buy like old jeans and then copy the wash at the wash house. Right. And I would see big fashion people from around the world, from Paris, to London, to Tokyo, to LA, New York, that would come and shop there. Like big designers, right. Leading Through, say, 2015, the Latin population at this place, which is more of like a hipstery kind of vibe, was like, call it 10% of the people, of the audience, right? I'm not kidding you. At the end of 2016, early 2017, it was like 50% Latino. And I was just like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? And then the next month was the same. The next month was the same. The next month was like 70% Latino. And I'm like, yo, this is like a movement. And I'm like, obviously... Reggaeton is changing the narrative, right? Because now you have, one, the access to information of how to dress cool is at your fingertips, right? Cool, I can dress like this or dress like that. Cool. Now I can aesthetically look on trend, whatever. And then you have someone and now a group of people, of individuals that you can aspire to be that are making incredible music that dress cool, right? So like you're seeing this tidal wave and this change that's happening that now... Before Latin music was very siloed to say just Latin people or majority Latin people. Now you're seeing like it being accepted in mediums and places that are traditionally non-Latin as like, I would go to all the hot clubs in LA where the celebrities are and hoo, hoo, hoo ha, 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 right? And before they would never, ever, ever play reggaeton, ever. Yo, early 2017, they started playing three songs and the DJ would like, give me the nod, like, got you. Then you start seeing five songs and seven songs. and you see the room when they play reggaeton. The vibe is so different than when they play hip hop. Love hip hop, but the vibe and the energy is very different. So what that happens is now non-Latins are participating and engaging with the culture in a different way that they may have participated before. And now it's becoming aspirational, right? So then that creates opportunity for a lot of other ideas and things, where now I'm like, I was like, I was saying, like, dude, Latin culture is gonna be the new pop culture. I'm like, I said to myself, in five years, the biggest artist in the world is gonna be a reggaeton artist. I don't know who I was thinking it was gonna be Jay Bauman at the time. I had known who Bad Bunny was, and I was like, yo, he's dope, but I didn't think he was gonna get to where he is now, you know? And I was dead on. And in that same wave, you know, I said to myself, there is this part, there's this desire. For Latins to find consumer products from food, beverage, to fashion, to media, to anything that's cool, right, that they can call and claim as their own, that this is like, this is a Latino product. And I am proud that this is a, a Latino product. You know, so I think that that's where, you know just from like a business perspective i was like yo i think there's an opportunity here to create proper impact and to mix sustainability and social impact and all these things you know and then that's where i naturally i landed on food and beverage and i started seeing like okay what are the parallels that i've seen i saw like the success of beverage companies affiliating with rap and hip hop a lot of them weren't from that community you know but they benefited off of them i'm like i'm latino right why don't I do something that I can tie in one of my first loves, which is reggaeton. And I listen to this shit eight to 12 hours a day, you know, and use that medium and that vibe to be able to also promote things like sustainability and social impact and, and community and unity and pride and culture, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where kind of like the idea took shape and form. And then, you know, which makes the rest sense is because
0: what the tagline is that they get in a bottle. Yeah. Even on here, it says, say it loud, chiki, chiki, boom, boom, say it loud. And it's very vibrant, right? Uh-huh. Like So many of our communities are very vibrant sure. and colorful. Don't worry. I did stalk your Instagram and I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I was like, oh, yes, this is very much a reflection of him.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> total, total. Uh,
0: so you actually have a partner who has kind of traveled all over as well but he actually was born in Ecuador and he's the one who runs the farm. So how, like, that's so interesting to me in regards to how you guys chose. I mean, obviously you being of Ecuadorian heritage and him being from Ecuador, I can see that, but like, how did you guys decide, okay, we're not just going to source it. We're going to have our own farm. We're going to make sure that this is done our way. Like, how do you kind of go through that? Like, was that a super long process?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'll kind of explain to you like how we got there because, you know, I think picking your partner in your company, if you have like a big idea is as important or maybe more, I don't know, you could argue this important picking like your spouse, Mm -hmm. right? Because
0: absolutely, you're going to spend a
1: lot of time with this person, you know, and... The highs and the lows, you're going to be with this person, right? So, you know, I did what I... And I was older than him. So a bit wiser in the sense of more experience. I like entrepreneur dated, per se. Like we went to lunch a few times. We went to dinner a few times. I even went to Mexico City with him for a Shakira concert with him. Because I wanted... I'm like, yeah, I got to hang out with this guy probably for at least for like the next 10 years of my life. (laughs) I got to make sure we're like on the same wave, you know? So we went and we vibed. And more importantly, like we had a lot of the same values and vision of what we felt the culture needed to go in terms of like Latin consumer products. We basically aligned. So then he starts telling me about this product that had been around for 500 years. It actually comes from the area where he grew up. And he described to me the product. And I was like, yeah, I've drank that thing in Ecuador before whenever I. I visited as a kid and he said to me, he's like, yeah, this is like La Santa. And there it comes from this blue zone, they call it the Valley of Longevity. There's many centenarians under the equator between the Amazon, the Andes, and the Urban Legends for every day you drink this, you live a day longer. I'm like, fuck, we got the fountain of youth from the middle of the world. Like that shit's hot, you know? And then, you know, so it had authenticity it had function because the the beverage was f- filled with antioxidants and vitamins, and it was kind of like an alternative to water. So I'm like, damn, if I can launch like a water product, that's the biggest space in food and beverage, period. So I was like, damn, all the check marks hit, you know. And there was this slang term that I've been saying called "chicky chicky boom boom," and "chicky" in Spanish means like baby. Well, depending on like your slang, but like for me, it was like baby. And then boom is like, boom. And like we said before, we're both byproducts of Spanglish. I was saying chiqui chiki boom boom for years and it meant celebration to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, yo, Jessica, vamos a chiqui chiki boom boom hoy en noche. could be like, hey, let's go party with our friends and dance the reggaeton music and un poquito mezcal, tequila, tolpedo, some chisme wine, all that stuff, you know? <laughs> so like you playing with like your kids or your nieces, your nephews or your abuela and, you know, having a great time. So I noticed that this, this was a term that my friends, my land friends were saying, but my non land friends love saying it. They just thought it was very funny and exciting. That, that's why I ended up putting say it loud because I would walk into rooms and people would be like, chiki, chiki, boom, boom, you know? <laughs> and this is before we launched the product. And I'm like, dude, this is something that like the Latino is going to love, but the, the, the non-Latino, like the gringo love saying chiki, chiki, boom, boom, you know? It's kind of like when, you know, some of my gringo friends, they land in Mexico and say like to Cabo, they'll be like, you know, there's like the dude with like the whistle outside the airport, like selling you a margarita already, and then the white boy is like margarita, you know, tequila. <laughs> that that's how cheeky was, but it was like cheeky. So I was like, fuck, like dude, this is a word that's easy to pronounce, it's easy to say, it's easy to spell, it's easy for people to like have it as like a hook, you know. So yeah, so that that's how we kind of derived because I wanted the name to feel like a song. You know, that was like all by design because, you know, when you're thinking about like marketing and branding years later, you know, can I have a, a reggaeton artist say Chiki Chiki boom" in a song without being forced? And the answer is yes, because it's actually kind of easy for them to intertwine it with their rap, you mm-hmm. know? So that's how kind of I thought about it. And like, you know, the kind of like the brand approach was like, I want to treat this as like a reggaeton artist and how would a reggaeton artist market their... Their music, right, and essentially my music is my brand and my product. That was like kind of like the psych that I took on when creating the brand.
0: Well, I have four flavors in front of me. I have strawberry, lemon, mango, passion fruit, apple, and pear, and then classic and lemon. What is so? They're all so. When you think of flavored water, I think t- so many people think of light, or and this is not flavored. It's tropical water.
1: Well, it's technically uh, flavored water. We brand it as tropical water, yeah. but it's it's cooler to say tropical water than flavored yeah, yeah, water, right? Yeah, I
0: got you. It's mucho hydrating.
1: <laughs>
0: but it looks like I mean, when you look at it, it's not clear because I think a lot of people think like flavored water is still just the clear with like tinges. No, there's actual like flavor in here. It's not yeah. just like water with a hint of, of something, but I do want to say that strawberry lemon is my favorite there's only one bottle left because my boyfriend's been drinking them all in my okay. last one for me
1: I gotta send you some more
0: <laughs> and I really enjoy I like I actually did enjoy all of them he doesn't like passion fruit so he wasn't a fan of the mango passion fruit and the apple and pear is really really good as well I know it's it almost has like an underlying like tea flavor
1: yeah where so, did that come from well It's actually a a tea. Well, technically it's manufactured like a tea. So Mm -hmm. in Ecuador, if you would add a lot of sugar and fruit, it tasted more like a a heavily flavored tea because it's eight botanicals. Mm -hmm. If you put little sugar, the beverage tasted like a flavored water. So we went with the option of branding it as like a water and we wanted it to be something that was like felt like water as opposed to something that felt like a tea. So yeah, so it has that, like from a manufacturing perspective, it has like similarities to manufacturing tea, but there's also a lot of similarities to manufacturing water.
0: I love when you're talking about the soil because, and I'm going to read this because I really was like... I think oh was shit. Important. So I
1: didn't, yeah, I didn't get to that part. because, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So like, you know, my partner and I, we all shared the same vision and values. And we said like, hey... Let's launch this brand. Let's like put this together, put this out to market, and then see how we can create impact, right? Because then we'll know what we need to work on. And supply chain, you know, coming from fashion, I ever saw supply chain at my fashion company. And I'd been to China like 60 plus times and, you know, understood factory and manufacturing and processes and had that understanding, you know. So, in the same vein, I, I knew that like the root of things are like, if you can impact your supply chain, that probably will be the first logical place to create sustainability things related to the environment and maybe people, right? So then we analyze how is this product made? Okay, what is the core ingredient? Botanicals? Without botanicals, the thing is not what what it is, right? So cool. Where are the botanicals coming from? Indigenous communities, female, rural base, cool. Now you're identifying. So then, my co-founder and I went, he did the majority of the work. He went, he surveyed like 50 plus farmers. I went on like five of the trips because I'm based in LA. So I'd go there and with him and we would ask questions, right? And we figured out what were the problems that they saw and where were the opportunities to improve products and improve those people's lives. So you're thinking about consumer, thinking about the retailer, you're thinking about the farmer, and then lastly, the planet. And we're like, how can we like impact all those four? You know, that's when we started saying like, why don't we just like impact the, the ingredients and then all those things fall like a domino effect too, right? So then we started to ask a lot of questions and my co-founder Juan, his family, they're one of the largest landowners in the South of Ecuador for agriculture. And they employ like thousands of people for their agricultural based company. And, you know, he started doing his diligence and we met with some botanical agronomists, and started saying like, you know, the biggest problem is that these farmers have lack of resources, lack of information, lack of education, lack of technology. They don't have the tools to be able to make things better or in a more modern way, right? And the opportunities to improve the product are like boost flavor, um, you know, preserve more of the antioxidants. So these things are being disparaged, right? And like, you know, the organic system, the USD organic system in most of the world is pretty broken when it comes from like these small farmers, right? That go through collective. So right. usually the, the audit checks aren't necessarily the most robust. They're not consistent, this, that, and the other. We're like, yo, we need to like figure out how we improve this whole cycle. So then we did some diligence. We wrote like a business plan. There was a government grant that was going from the government of Ecuador for agricultural Base concepts that did good for the people on the planet. We're like, shit, this is like right up our alley. So we pitched it. We won the six figure grant, and we and the idea was like, if we can farm our own botanicals, and we do this first on our property, then we can utilize this information because our property is uh, is finite. You know, it's not infinite, but there's like three thousand plus farmers that are growing these botanicals just in our region we can impact these people's lives increase their sales increase their yields and really treat them like our partners and we saw the system was broken because they were selling to like an aggregator the aggregator was selling to the dryer the dryer was selling to to the ingredient company the ingredient company was selling to the co-packer and we said what if we just eliminate everyone in the middle and we work with the farmer and then we nominate the co-packer so you're basically taking out like you know two to four hands in the pot in this and hole. then it
0: allows those farmers to... So
1: you you can pay the farmers more money, yes. more visibility, more guidance, more forecasts, you know, teach them, empower them, the whole nine, right? So we said, okay, fuck it. Let's do this on our farm. So my partner converted one of their family properties into like a Willy Wonka botanicals. <laughs> you, you can see it on the website. And it is like, there's nothing like this on earth for this type of crop. Because most crops that have value in the agriculture system are usually produce, like fruits and vegetables, coffee, and then obviously like meats and chickens and shit like that, right? Botanicals, they're like to consider the weeds. In Latin America, they call them las hierbas malas, because they just kind of grow everywhere. So that's why historically, they're easy to farm. Historically, it's been dealt to the rural indigenous farmers. And these females... It's usually female base and the men go work these construction jobs in like the local towns and the women is left back at the farm to be a mother and you know kind of like the matriarch of the family but also do some part-time work farming right and we saw the system fucked up and we're like dude this has happened hundreds of years. And we're like, what if we change this? And what if like the woman now becomes the breadwinner of the family? Because we can empower them and teach them. Because like, there's no people in the middle here to fuck up this thing. It's we want the best product in the world to market that we have the best product in the world, right? For you to taste it, that it's the best product in the world. And then shit, you're doing good. So we're like, fuck, this is kind of a no-brainer, right? So then that's when we decided to do all these things. And you know, we, we started to implement this on our farm. And we started seeing immediately when we, you know, started to do things in a regenerative manner where we impact it, like we create in composting stations. So we use 19 functional mushrooms to create our own fertilizer. We use that fertilizer to feed the soil and soil is oil, like 40% of climate change around the world is impacted by soil health and that soil health, you know, that is basically the nutrients for our ingredients and this is where it's coming from and the early test that we did more like where we were incubating it our product with our herbs you know with the herbs from the farmers that exist now in the ecosystem was like mind-blowingly better and we're like shit if we can do this at scale this is where the opportunity is right like you can really improve the product and all these things I just said so then that's when we like went full cylinder with it and it you know that also builds like more of a moat Right, so like you need defensibility in your business to be able to be differentiated. So when sure the big boys of the world are going to come and copy you, be like, oh, those guys are doing botanical based water. Let me knock their shit off. But like they're not going to go to the extent to want to create impact because the difference is we care. We're Latino. Yeah. These are our people. We're from Ecuador. You know, this is our pride. This is our blood. I care more about my blood more than anything else. If, if you yeah. think about it, right? So then and that's how also we also
0: Studies showing came, you know? that when. Women have there when they have earned money, especially in rural areas. It yeah, completely impacts not just that family, but being like that whole region. Because right. now, so I think that's that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, totally. Coolest. I I mean, um, so I love that you talk about soil is oil, but also like this is just such like such a win in. Q1 and Q2 of this year, you're going to be included in Walmart, CVS, Publix, Giant, Tops Markets, Cub Foods, and GoPuff. And you have over 15 distributors on board. Yeah. Like that is so awesome. And I think that you guys are ob- absolutely onto something here. First of all, it's really good because th- it you. doesn't matter like how... Well, I think for some people, it doesn't matter like how, if a product tastes crappy, if they think it's going to do good for them, they'll still do it. But this is, this is actually really good. Like it's, Gracias. yeah. Like, you know, here in my, my pear and apple is almost gone. Like I said, I have to hide the strawberry lemon. Yeah. So my boyfriend doesn't drink it all because Funny. he got like, I drink a ton of water. Yeah. That's most water and wine. Right. Yeah, yeah. I got
1: water here. Yeah. but. You.
0: He also likes to have something that has flavor. So he was even like, Oh, babe, get something that's, you know, he wanted, I don't even forget what he asked. Oh, get some lemonade, get some this, get some that. So it's just not just water, but he really liked these because he tried all of them as well. Great. Like I said, I think obviously his favorite is strawberry lemon because they're yeah. all gone. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Love it.
0: But the fact that you guys are doing this and you're so hyper aware of, and you're doing it from from truly where your community is right and not just the from the ecuador standpoint but just from the latino standpoint and wanting to truly make an impact now obviously you want to make an impact on your wallet too right but it but the fact that you were talking like it's so much more important to you to make an impact in the community that your parents are from that you're you know that you are really from and to, to change because tech, I mean, honestly, this could probably change so much in the country.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, if I can inspire other Latin people, entrepreneurs, non-Latins to want to participate in the culture because they love Chicky you know, I think that that's success. And, you know, we want to be able to change the scope of the, of the narrative, of the culture, right? Like don't stereotype me to, products that are like uh, 50 grams of azúcar. Like that's not sure. Yeah. They're probably tasty as fuck, but that's not what I enjoy personally, you know? And no,
0: same. Like I'm not a big soda drinker. I maybe have a couple of Cokes a year. And that's usually around the holidays. That's usually yeah. around like
1: nothing having- better than <laughs> like a Coke diet Coke with a bad hangover. <laughs> Great.
0: It's usually with like pozole or tamales uh-huh. or something like that. Um, Otherwise, I don't really drink a lot of soda. I don't really, you know, it's just I'm not a big sweet. And I realized that because my mom told me that she used to put what she used to water down my sodas when I was little. So then yeah. the first time I had something, I'm like, this was not, it was like I didn't like it because it was so sugary. But yeah. this is just perfect. It has, so each bottle has three grams of sugar and 20 calories. So it's definitely you know, not packed with sugar and you can tell, you can tell, you can taste it. Like it's just sweet enough. Yeah. Without over, like without feeling like you're going to go into sugar shock.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think the goal, right? Because like, for instance, just like you, I love drinking water and only water. And I rarely drink anything outside of water unless it's obviously like alcoholic. Um, And even then I don't drink that much alcohol anymore. So like, you know, I just always, you know, as a kid growing up, I love juice. I love soda, all that stuff. And my mom's like, yeah, no tomar nada. Eso, right. So I'm like, okay, cool. So then, you know, when I rediscovered what our product is now, I was like, shit, this is like light, easy to drink. It's like basically a cousin of water, you know, and I can drink a few of these a day and not feel guilty. And you get, you know, I'll drink like two chickies a day, sometimes three, sometimes four chickies a day, but I'll drink like, you know, these you know, these big water things, I'll drink like three to four of them a day, you know? So I'm just like drinking a lot of fluids, you know? I mean,
0: honestly, drinking three of these a day is still less sugar than drinking a soda.
1: Dramatically, yeah. Which,
0: which is crazy. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that you guys are, you know, getting distributed this year. So let's make sure you guys, we go support because then they can continue to be distributed and continue to help the community and continue to do you know, all of these things. Cause I know a lot of times sustainability has become a really big issue. What is the next, like, what do you guys hope is like, what is your long-term vision for, for Chiki?
1: Yeah, you know, we want to be the brand that represents the generation. We want to be the brand that creates change. We want to be the brand that is fun, is healthy. You know, we want you to be proud that we are Latinos and we are owned by Latinos we also want you, if you're not Latino, we want you when you drink some Chicky and the reggaeton goes into your soul. We want you to feel Latino. <laughs> you know, we want you to give you, we want to give you the privilege of feeling what we feel every day. You know, without the,
0: appropriating culture, <laughs> exactly.
1: But we want to give you the sazón. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, as bad Bunny say, "Todos quieren ser latinos, pero no tienen sazón." We want to give you the sazón with Chicky. You know, so on our new packaging we have on the back of the packaging, it's debuting in April, it says water with sazon. Because we started to say like on social media and we saw that that statement like uh, uh, did well and hit. Yeah. So now we have all that. And we have some small pack changes. Like we're putting the reggaeton in a bottle statement on the front of the, of the pack because we saw that got a lot of uh, engagement. And we also felt that that's what represented the product the best. Because, you know, as I told you earlier, like, when you listen to like a reggaeton like album, especially like a bunny album, it's like an emotional roller coaster of perreo to sadness to celebration to like friendship to fucking depression to everything, right? So, like in that same light, like Chicky is like everything too, right? It's a, we're doing impact, sustainability, you know, it's low sugar, low calorie, organic, but we also like love to have fun and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah.
0: I'm here for it for sure. And like I said, I think it's, you know, all about the purpose and the product. Yeah. The purpose is amazing. The product is good. So I always want to give people the opportunity to share anything that maybe we haven't touched on or anything. So if there are any last words before I have you give out your social and the website, please like share them now.
1: You know, I want to encourage mi gente and basically like, you know, say that, today we're living in a special age where we can now be heard and we can follow our ideas and really put our energy and our culture first and foremost. And, you know, the time is now and we are it, we are the it girl, the it guy, you know, we are that now, you know, and like, it's a great feeling, but now what's important is you got to like take it by the reins and you got to make something of it, you know, so that we can impact the future generation to keep being inspired, being motivated. Um, and yeah, it's, a, you know, as Drake says, what a time to be alive, you know?
0: One thing I forgot to ask you about. Again, I told you I was stalking your social media. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you freaking went to the White House and got to meet with the vice president, with Vice yeah. President Kamala Harris. How the hell did that happen? How was it? Like, I was like, "What? Well, I did ask him about this. I almost forgot. What what yeah. kind of interviewer would I be if I did if I forgot that."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh no, it, it happened really quickly, so like for instance, I'm on the board of a um NGO called Founder Familia. It's the largest um group of his of Latin entrepreneurs in the country. Usually it's like the requirements are venture backable usually in tech and consumer we have uh, close to 400 founders that are members of the community we've raised over 4 to 5 billion dollars in funding our sister ngo is vc familia it's a, a venture it's basically like 300 venture capitalists that are um that are um you know la- latino investors they control between 40 to 50 billion dollars in funding and the idea is like can we bridge the gap and like build bridges so that the one group of individuals the vcs fund the latinos you know uh so that that was kind of like the idea behind it and uh the guy that came up with the idea is a vc dude from Sansom named, named carlos castellanos and I randomly like just saw it online somewhere I I applied to be on it I got accepted and then me and him like started talking and I shared ideas and resources and like hey I can help you with this if you want da 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 you know so he asked me to be on the board and you know I was honored and like you know uh with that said like you know we're building something here that's very unique and special and I think that like the again that kind of feeling didn't exist 5 years ago those opportunities those mediums did not exist for people you know and i think that again like we have to celebrate and we also have to participate and also like support latino support you know if you have an option give a little bit of preference and a shot to someone that's latin because we need to progress and the only way that we're going to progress as a culture is if we help each other so anyway so with that in mind I got invited separately to a White House event during Hispanic Heritage Month. And I'm, you know, during I threw a founder family event weeks prior and my friend Mabel, she came to the event and she loved the event. She's like, hey, you should be my friend that works at the White House, Natalie. And she, you know, she's Latina and, you know, you just got to meet. I'm like, cool. So I met. I went to the White House for an event for a separate event. Right. For Hispanic Heritage Month. And then she's like, hey, you should come in like a week or two. VP Harris is doing like a roundtable with Latin entrepreneurs and da-da-da. And then she like called me like hours later. She's like, hey, I have an opportunity for you to bring six Latin entrepreneurs from diverse industries to come to the White House to meet with senior leadership here to tell them some of the ideas that you have of, you know, of you wanting to build bridges of, say, Founders, investors, and Washington. So, you know, we had the privilege to do so. I got selected to be in like a small round table with the VP, you know, and I just shared my ideas with her, you know, and because she asked us bluntly, like, if there's one thing you could do, what would you do? And, you know, I told her, like, my opinion was like, I hate to say this, but a lot of Latins, they recognize this, just that. I've always felt that the Latin community has been a little bit behind in supporting one another. And, you know, there has been talk and banter of like Latins, they, they hate on each other, you know, as opposed to, to other groups. And I was just like, why the fuck do we have to hate on I each we're other? Like, we
0: our own worst enemy.
1: Yeah. Let's like support. And I told her and she like, kind of gave me this look of surprise. Like I didn't know this. Right. And I was like, yo, this is like the message that we need to, I'm like this message I push. Right. So I don't know how that influences your sphere of influence, but like, if we can create that message and build that narrative within the culture, we're powerful because our data, no one has our data. Right. It's like, what, 30% of teenagers are Latin, 26% of Gen Z Latin, 22% of millennials are Latin. Yeah, we're the future straight up. So like, if you want to build influence, you know, success, power, and, uh, you know, lasting generational change, you have to support one another. You know, and that to me is the most important thing. And, you know, I'm seeing change in the right direction, but there's still a long way to go.
0: Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome where can people get chicky chicky boom boom
1: yeah so Perfect. if you go yeah just go on our website drinkchicky.com chik and you can uh go on there and see the store locator on the footer if you're in florida you can order on GoPuff online uh starting middle march if you're in florida you can go in every walmart middle april we're gonna be in cvs nationwide in about thousand stores in the Midwest, we're in Fresh Time, Foxtrot, West Coast, uh, Erwan, DoorDash in the Dash Marts in California. All in all, like 3,000 plus stores, giant in the Northeast, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. And obviously, drinkchicky.com also sells, and we can do a 25% off code CHISME, C H I S M E, that'll give you 25% off um, on the website. So, all right. Ahí vamos. Chicky, chicky, boom, Yeah, tu sabes.
0: Andres, muchisimas gracias. Thank De you nada. so much. for Muchas gracias por was, You know, I uh, like, you know, if you made it to the end, I know this is a little bit longer episode than we normally do, but yeah. you just shared so much valuable information. I have a feeling that we're going to have to bring you back with questions, with people like people who don't want to have like, you know, different things. We're going to have to, I feel like that's going to end up happening because you mas just provided chisme. a lot. Yeah, <laughs> chisme, You just provided a lot of information that, People are gonna want more. So I appreciate Total. it. Don't go anywhere. We still got other cheese like offline cheese.
1: Yeah, yeah, offline so, cheese. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, until next time, mi gente.
1: Muchas gracias.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things wine and cheesement on our website, thewineandcheesementpodcast There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at the Wine and Cheesement on Instagram and at the Wine and Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more wine and cheesement subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.